I sip my chilled sake as one of my colleagues passionately describes the black Lamborghini Urus he just purchased for his wife. My eyes focus in the distance to the chef that glides a blade through the thick fillet of dark tuna like butter. I thought to myself, wow, what a way to spend a Saturday. But the conversation faded into the distance as I started to feel lightheaded and the world around me started to dissolve as my heart started to race. Shit, no, 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 not right now. My heart kept thumping. My mind started to race. Maybe I'm having an allergic reaction to the sake. Is, is my throat closing over? No, no, you're overthinking it. You're not breathing. Take some deep breaths. The color drained from the room and my peripheral vision was gone as my mind continued to tumble. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Am I going to faint? Please don't faint. Oh my God, don't faint at a business lunch. You look like such a freak. Please. My skin was burning up like I was internally combusting. Just calm down. Listen to your body. Shit, maybe I am having a stroke or something's wrong with my heart. I don't want to end up in the ER. I don't want to die. A sense of impending doom bubbling up. I anchored my focus on the fatty seams of kingfish ceviche in the center of the table. Calm down. Calm down. You're going to be okay. You've got this. Ride it out. You're young. You're healthy. Be logical. Just breathe. Nice, deep breaths. I shifted my attention to the menu, trying to think of a graceful exit. I'll be back. I'm just going to pop to the bathroom. Asking a, a question about the panic attack. Have you ever had one before? Like, was that your first panic attack or has no, it been that I've, intense before? I have had them before. So that was kind of like a turning point where my anxiety was peaking quite badly. Um, and that was a, com- a, a situation that I actually had a conversation with my psychologist about. I explained it to her and she was just explaining to me that it's a panic attack. And I never recognized those experiences as panic attacks. I don't think I wanted to, because for me, my anxiety tends to fixate around death a lot. And it was one of those things where I'd done a lot of reading and a lot of like cognitive behavioral therapy around it. And she was saying, look, I don't think it's necessarily that you're afraid of death I think you're an anxious person and that's what you're blaming your anxiety on I don't know if blame is the right word but like you you like to find a scapegoat for for things and that's what you're pinning it on so interestingly enough now that I'm not taking I'm not as anxious because I've started um, medication for it I actually don't really think about death as much which is kind of liberating you struggle with the decision to start taking meds around it Um, Well, I actually came to you guys when I had proposed and I actually asked you because I think the thing is, like for me, when I read that out aloud, my biggest fear is that someone will hear that and think, oh my God, this chick's fucking unhinged. Like she's out of control. And on the surface, I'm a very controlled person. I don't think a lot of people would pick up that I've had this experience. And I'm within my industry, like I'm a very high performer, like I have to be on top of my shit and so I don't want people to think that I can't do my job and like make judgments around that no one really talks about it I think that's the thing at least within my age group it's not like oh yeah I'm on I'm on uh antidepressants I don't even like the word antidepressants you know like I just find there's like I feel like there's a stigma attached to it maybe there's not but I feel like I'm just like oh yeah my chill pills like (laughs) yeah I I don't know it's just it feels very clinical and that is something that's really interesting to me because I sort of thought, 
uh, the millennial people are more open about mental health and and getting seeking help and things like that. Mm. But you're saying not so much that it still has a stigma attached to it. No, I think when people maybe it's a self-imposed stigma within my mind because I don't. I initially I didn't want to admit that I have anxiety because it's it was an impediment in my mind. Like I like to think my brain is has attributes that are very beneficial when I um first went to see a psychologist which was a few years ago my mum um I told her that I was going to go see a psychologist and the words out of my mum's mouth were um she didn't think that was a very good idea because then it would be on my medical record and and that's not the response I expected or maybe it was maybe it was and that's why I was telling her because I didn't want her to have anxiety around it because she would have anxiety that her daughter was seeing a psychologist as well, if that makes sense. So, um, but for me, I knew, I've, I think just because I'd had other medical diagnoses, I knew that was okay. You know, I wasn't stressed about that at all. And that if that's the sort of help that I needed, that was the best way for me to go. I'd be interested just to delve into your experience, Fiona, for example. You were mentioning with menopause, like that's something that's brought anxiety on for you. So I never, I would say to you, I never had a panic attack or anything like that until the last sort of um, 18 months. And um, when I uh, became menopausal, lots of changes in my body, like more than I think is acceptable. <laughs> just I don't like menopause at all. And I started to have a couple of panic attacks around it. I think it was taking on other people's anxiety and and I was so busy trying to relieve their anxiety that I wasn't relieving my own and um, I wasn't taking a breath, even though I was talking them through taking breaths and things like that. And when you were describing your anxiety attack, it was really interesting because I'm happy to describe what happens to me. It happens, it's so fast, it's insane and you don't even expect it to happen. So I'll be doing whatever I'm doing and then all of a sudden, uh, it's like I can't even take a breath. It's it's My heart is up in my throat and like when you were talking about the it's almost like I could pass out, like I could pass out. and But my brain is saying to me, in this very moment, you actually can't pass out. You you can't because you're in the middle of something and you have to take control back. Like you're, It's like you've got two halves fighting and this very, very sage half of you is saying, this is, this is insane. What is going on? And it's this other half saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, I can't cope. I can't cope. I'm, I'm, I just, I'm not coping. And so when I'm trying to do this procedure, I try to finish it as fast as I can. And literally, uh, I try to take a very, very deep breath. Like, um, I do a lot of breath work and try to, uh, instead of breathing in my, in my shoulders, try to breathe down into the depths of my belly. And that's what brings me back. It's what brings mm. me back. But like, I can, in that moment, I can break out in a sweat that everyone could smell in the room. Like, it's the only time I have sweat that smells. It just, it's extraordinary. And like, I am soaked, absolutely soaked from it. So, and then I'm fine. Like, literally, like 30 seconds later, I'm fine. And I'll normally excuse myself to go to the bathroom and sort of wipe myself down. Like, my chest is wet. My hair is physically wet. It's crazy. 
but I'm working through it. I'm working through it. So I, I haven't gone down the um, route of medication because it, it hasn't been that bad for me. Like I don't feel anxiety all the time. It's just in a very short moments um, and I'm working on that like um, working on that with uh, better mental health doing a lot of relaxation stuff a lot of breath work like I do the box breathing uh, which mm. is the four hold let it out hold um, so I do a lot of that and I try to do that throughout the day now so I've got a new daily ritual where every time I go to the toilet I do um, my box breathing and that's what uh, has been suggested to me so it becomes part of your everyday pattern so you might do that multiple mm. times in the day and I do it when I go to sleep and things like that and that's helping quite a lot because when I feel that anxiety coming up I immediately go to the breath that's that's what I do now so yeah so it's there's another version <laughs> It's hard in that circumstance, though, because it's just so true. You have two little like voices that are trying to compete, but your brain has flooded your body with like cortisol stress. And so it's like you have to wait for it to just settle. Like it's just one of those things. You're like, I know that this is what it is, but that chemical is there. So you just have to let it let it do its thing. And I was doing some research into it and they were saying one in three people will have a panic attack in their life. That's a lot of people, um, but it's not a fun thing to talk about. It's like, oh, yeah, guys, I just had a panic attack while I was driving or like it's one of those situations. People don't want to relive it. Like it's quite unpleasant. So, Amelia, to your point beforehand, I think people might also have panic attacks and not realise they're having a yeah. panic attack. So I wonder whether that one in three is actually like everyone has panic attacks. We just don't always know what they are. And you sharing that story at the start and even talking about fainting, like I didn't even know that could be because you were having a panic attack. Like I've learned so much from your insights into that, the experience. And I don't think people appreciate that or talk about it. I would agree. I think one in three sounds low. That's what I thought. I Mm. thought that sounds low. We'll have, okay, in our little recording sesh, who's had a panic attack? Me. 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 That's all of us. So of our sample of four, 100%. Very scientific (laughs) sample, mind you. Very representative and rigorously sampled. Well, we're across the generations. (laughs) Large, large sample size. Mm. But it often makes me wonder, say, for example, Fiona, back like back when you were young. <laughs> no, it's like it's obviously been in human populations for a while. Like, how would they have dealt with it back when, say, for example, my grandma, when she was my it, age? It was, like, it was not talked about at all. Like, I don't remember anyone talking about anxiety or panic attacks in my 20s, 30s. 40s, yes, I heard people starting to have that conversation. It's not even a conversation we would have with friends. This is not something we talked about at all. I did see a lot of addiction and not just addiction just to um, substances, but addiction to sex and addiction to shopping. Shopping was a big one. Mm. Um, Addiction to different things as well. And, And I'm starting to think that maybe... Uh, just you know just talking it through today that could that have been some anxiety you know that and that's just the presentation of it you know that you you go and do certain things to make you feel better um you know if someone fainted or something like that no one would think panic attack that's for sure you know you might think low blood sugar or 
or or well, what do they used to call it? Hysteria, you know, mm. Um, mm. which is a terrible word for women to be used with them. But now I, I don't know whether because as we've got older and now, you know, I always think it's your generation, um, Amelia, that has brought that to the forefront and been more comfortable to talk about it. Like I never remember someone like like when I read a news article and at the end of the news article it gives you all that information about Beyond Blue and things like that or if you're experiencing or if this has triggered anything, that's all really new. That's only in the last sort of five, ten years that they've started doing that whereas they never used to do any of that sort of stuff before. So it's sort of good that it's out in the open a bit more. I think women are better at talking about it than men. I, I really mm. do. I think women are... But women um, are better at talking full stop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I would just add, and I think it's a very interesting reflection about the generations, right? I also think there's cultural norms around it. And, you know, um, thinking about my family in Sri Lanka and people who are in cultures where they may not be in a space or a place where it's safe to talk about it, to explore it, they don't have the resources. Um, You know, if I was to even talk to people my age, um, who are still in Sri Lanka, it's still a massive taboo. Like, yeah. I know I've got family and friends over there who are struggling with this, but it is a culture, unfortunately, with all of the economic situations and political situations where it's survival. And I feel like when a generation or a culture or a person is in survival mode, the ability to stop and say, hey, something's going on with my mental health and I now can have the time and space to address that may not be something that's available to people. So I don't know. It's just something I've been thinking about recently. Can I mm. just say something about that? Because it's just making giving me all these thoughts about... So are we here in Australia, are we privileged that we can actually stop and think about that? I think so. Yeah. I think, you know, and um, I think... We as a culture have said, okay, we're going to put language around this. In some cultures, there isn't a language around it. Um, There isn't proper words for it, right? And we're going to have it almost as something that a health professional may ask you about and check in with your mental health. I was at a diabetes congress recently, and that was one of the big conversations that, you know, when you go see your endocrinologist, your specialist, that their first question should be, how is your head? Like, how are you going mentally as opposed to what's your blood sugar numbers looking like? Um, And so I do think as a society, we are moving more to the conversation to talk about it, to be open about it. And I feel like hopefully younger generations coming up, it is a more normalised element of its, you know, emotional and physical and spiritual well-being as opposed to just a focus on the physical. Anxiety, as you were talking about, Amelia, is a normal reaction to things. It serves an evolutionary purpose. It's helpful for us to feel anxious about a woolly mammoth about to attack us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think what we're talking about here is is when it's uh, not serving us anymore and it's not serving a beneficial kind of outcome to what's happening. You know, mm. something you just said there is, is really interesting to me where um, you're saying about, you know, running away from the woolly mammoth and things like that, right? So, Amelia, when you were in that meeting and you were having that anxiety attack, right, it was that your gut telling you, get out of here? Like, it was it 
Like, are we ignoring our guts to saying, this is not right, get out, get out now? Like, or is it something that is just ridiculous? Oh, no, because it's not ridiculous. Is it something that is like just overwhelmingly happening, but for no reason? You know, it shouldn't yeah, no. really be happening. It's one of those things my because I always explain to people you've got your reptile brain and you've got like your formed brain so the amygdala is the reptile brain and this is the thing I think about it completely logically there's this logical brain in me that says this is how the brain is working right now and this is why you're feeling these things and then there's this little lizard brain that's like ah saber-toothed tiger shit run (laughs) and so that is always turned on like the smallest thing it's always firing so it's completely it's interesting like for me, my work is actually something that gave me a lot of control and it's actually a safe space for me because it's a space that I can control and it's a space that I understand. Even though there's a lot of unknowns, I can fixate on it and I can like sort of disappear within it. Like it's, I really like it. And so it's the external world that can sort of these things and like human interactions and yeah like it's it's I when I got to the point where I was like okay I need to do something different because whatever I'm doing at the moment isn't working I remember I was at a party and I was talking to a girl and I was like honestly I feel like I'm just wired all the time like I feel like I'm on the edge of like a breakdown essentially like it and I didn't know how that was going to manifest and that was kind of scary to me I love that Stay. I've learnt heaps about that today. Like <laughs> just talking to a stranger at a party, you know. But like it's it <laughs> it comes out in weird ways. Yeah. It is what it is. As my uh, favorite saying is, it is what it is. Hi, Fiona here. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the XYZ Experiment podcast. And don't forget to leave a rating and review. If you enjoyed our show, tell all your friends and family and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at the XYZ Experiment for all the latest updates and news. Our original music was composed and performed by Luke Champion.